0: let's take our first call first caller shall we yeah seth welcome seth let us know what are your thoughts unmute yourself please
1: how's it going good you yeah i'm just making breakfast living the dream you know
0: nice what are you making
1: uh eggs i'm making like a breakfast bowl Got some eggs peppers bacon a little bit of guac i probably put too much salt in there but uh Mm. it is what it is
0: (laughs) turkey turkey bacon
1: You know, my girlfriend is a big fan of the turkey bacon, but, uh, I'm a heathen, so... Mm, Hmm,
0: alright. Well, next time.
1: Next time, next time.
0: Think of your relationship, if nothing else, yeah.
1: (laughs) Keep it in mind. But, hey, I was just, uh, you know, a big fan of the show, uh, both your shows and, uh, uh, always a fan whenever you come on the uh, Jimmy Dore show, uh, Aaron. I was just wondering, you know, you guys talk a lot about the military family life experience or whatever. There's a lot of jokes. I just wonder if, if you've actually written anything about the uh, the everyday life of troops.
0: Uh, written? Have I written? Yeah. Uh, no. I've interviewed people about it. I haven't done a, writing in a, in a bit of a while. Uh, We had on Matt Ho and um, Danny Gerson, who are veterans. Have you heard our shows with them?
1: No, I'm going to have to go back and check them out.
0: Yeah, Matt Ho is now running for Congress, so make sure you do that. Yeah, they are anti-war veterans. I've also interviewed Mike Preisner, who is an anti-war veteran. Had him on to talk about uh, Afghanistan. Um, Who else? Uh, uh, We had another guest on the show, Adrian, uh, who was in the—
2: was it served in Afghanistan? Seth, uh, Seth do you have uh, military experience? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, Air Force. You do, yeah. So, um, what's Maybe your what's your concern? I mean, are you hoping to see more coverage of, of what daily life is like for military families?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of stories out there. Whether it's uh, you know these crazy water crises that are going on for bases oh, yeah. to poisoning and whatnot, and it yeah. seems like there's a lot of talk about war, which is Obviously, you know, important, but uh, there's just not a lot of talk about uh, what what actually goes on with the folks that, you know, are actually getting deployed and whatnot, what their lives are actually like.
2: What was your experience like?
1: Uh, For the most part, I had a pretty good experience. Uh, What I will say is that I know, I mean, you know, you you had dorms filled with like black mold and stuff like that, you know, living Hmm. conditions, things that were, uh, you know, unacceptable, but uh, I guess are routine.
2: Hmm. 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 And do you have people who are friends of yours who are serving now? Yeah. And what do they tell you?
1: Uh, about what, just like life in general? Yeah, or- yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you get higher up in rank, you get more money. So what's
2: the expression? Uh, rank has its privileges. Right, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's, it's, it's a world I'm not very familiar with except for when I interview veterans and uh, – the uh the toll it takes on families i mean matthew ho for example who's running for senate in north carolina as katie mentioned he's talked a lot about the mental health toll and friends of his who have really struggled and even lost their lives be- um because of the the horrible experiences that they endured and the addiction and other issues that they fell into afterwards and it's not you know it's only something i've i've heard about second hand but it sounds you know it's it's heavy it's heavy stuff
1: Well, I'm just a guy,
2: but I I challenge you to dive in there. Fair enough. Well, thank you. Thanks for the suggestion. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Seth. Okay.
0: Thanks, Seth. Okay. Next. Uh, We've got uh, Allie. Allie, unmute yourself, please. Thank you. Uh, Huge fan of you guys. And I know switching topics, obviously, um, more stories that he just mentioned would be good, but It wasn't on any of the Sunday shows, but wanted to see if you guys had any thoughts on the Durham um, kind of the law, the indictments that he's brought down with the Sussman guy and what he's basically alleging now is that they were spying on the Trump campaign and even potentially while uh, he was in office. And just thoughts on that, that our current national security advisor was tied up in that potentially Jake Sullivan and just any thoughts you guys maybe had on that topic or whether you guys will address that or whether you think it's well, for, important to address moving forward.
3: And
2: I'll well, come on. Listen.
3: Thank
2: yeah. Thanks, Ali. Well, look, uh, first of all, Katie loves talking about Russiagate, the ins and outs, the oh latest in the Durham yeah. investigation. That's, that's your, that's your favorite my, topic, Katie. You love it. My, you can't my, get enough.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> but actually, but in seriousness for me, I, I, I personally uh, follow, of course, very closely. It's what I've covered probably most extensively in the last, you know, whatever, how many years, five, five years now, five, six years. Um, And yeah, I think this filing for those who missed it, basically, I'll try not to speak too long about it because there are people who just don't want to hear anything more about the yeah, Russia investigation. Don't
0: be so self self-doubt. No, that's true. It's true.
2: It, 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 it's true. Well, it's we fine. Got,
0: literally we got a question about it. Yeah, yeah no, funny. I'm
2: just saying is I'm not going to get too into the weeds. That's all. all. Right. I'm, I'm trying to accommodate everybody. But basically John Durham, who's investigating the origins of the Trump Russia investigation, um, has now alleged in a filing that this tech company that was closely tied to the Clinton campaign, basically spied on Trump while he was in office. And basically, they were trying to push this fabricated tale to the FBI about a secret communications channel between Trump Tower and a Russian bank. It was a scam. It was one of the many ways in which the Clinton campaign and its associates tried to scam the FBI into um, uh, investigating this fictitious Trump-Russia conspiracy. And what's come out from John Durham's latest filing is that this tech company was trying to access data, including from the Oval Office, that they could use to push these fabricated ties between Trump and Russia. So basically take Internet data that they got from web traffic around the Oval Office and use that to make it seem as if Trump was in contact with Russia. That's what I take away from Durham's filing. It's very significant, and it just points to what a scam this was. And it's so funny when you compare... The reaction to this latest disclosure, which came out, I think, on Saturday or Friday, you know, MSNBC, CNN, where like if Robert Mueller would cough or if he would wear a new tie, that would be like breaking news. They would be over every single detail of the Mueller probe for you know the two years that or so that it was in existence. But now, of course, this latest filing gets no attention whatsoever because now that the whole Mueller thing is collapsed and no one seriously believes that there was a. Trump-Russia conspiracy anymore, that Trump was blackmailed. The media has moved on, and they don't care that the U.S. intelligence agencies were weaponized by the Clinton campaign to go after a Clinton, uh, a political opponent. And, you know, there's a huge tie-in to what's happening right now with Ukraine, because this whole crisis with Ukraine, it comes out of that same militarist Cold War agenda that was normalized during the Trump years, where that if you wanted to be a good liberal and oppose Trump properly— You had to accuse them of being soft on Russia, and you had to support flooding Ukraine with more weapons and arming neo-Nazi militias. So this John Durham thing, although the details for people can get very dry and confusing, ultimately, any effort that can get to the truth of what actually happened I think will be good beyond just finding out what happened with the whole Trump-Russia thing because it will help, I think, expose the malfeasance that went on to prop up a very dangerous agenda that is – playing itself out in Ukraine right now.
0: Yeah. I close on that. <laughs> I close on that, yeah. Alright, thank you so much, ali Let's bring uh bring in the noise, bring in the funk. Let's bring in the funk. Ah, uh what's your question, Funk? Hey, can you all hear me? Yeah.
4: Oh hey, this is Fernando calling in from Chicago. I'm just a general question about like you guys, or suggestion, you guys should do, like, some sort of, I know Katie's working on, like, some sort of book club thing, but also, like, yeah, I think it would be good to, like, when we're having themes like Ukraine and Russia and stuff like that, we can, y'all could uh, give some book references, maybe, like, some Stephen F. Cohen or, you know, give us some more context because, you know, a book has so much uh, information there. And also, like, Aaron, when are you writing that Russia Gate book mm. series now that's going to? you know, yeah, it's a series
2: now. Good question. Yeah. So look, in terms of books to recommend anything by Stephen F. Cohen, the last book that he published before he passed is called war with Russia, which is a collection of his columns in the nation magazine, basically predicting exactly what is going on right now and warning about how dangerous the U S policy towards Ukraine was and warning that it would push us into a serious conflict with Russia. And he of course debunks all the propaganda used to sustain this ongoing war hysteria. So that's a great book. And another great book on Ukraine is called Frontline Ukraine by Richard Sakwa, who, if you watch my show on the Gray Zone Pushback, I've interviewed him several times now, and he is an authority on what happened in Ukraine. And, you know, he doesn't pander to mainstream talking points. He doesn't try to, you know, uh, basically push propaganda in order to get himself on CNN or MSNBC. He's actually a serious scholar, a serious person. So that's another great book uh when it comes to Ukraine. And my own book, yes, I am writing a book about Russia Gate and I don't know when it will come out, but it will come out. I'm trying to actually finish it so we can put it out this year. But one thing I'm one thing I'm waiting for is the Durham Report, which, you know, um will be very essential to it. But yes, I, I am actually doing a book about the whole Russia thing.
0: Sounds great. Oh, love you guys. Have a good Thanks.
2: show. I love you, too. Thank you. love
0: you, too. And the reason I said Funk, by the way, is that's his, that's his like, username. Right. So, yeah. And that's my cat right there. Oh, it's really a really cat. I don't even like cats, but that's a fat cat. I love fat cats. She's great. Not political. Good? Not the rich people, but the actual cats. Yeah. Thanks.
5: Okay. Let's go with Charlotte. Charlotte? Hi, Katie. Hi, Aaron. Hi. <laughs> It's my first time calling in, so I'm nervous and excited. I listen to Glenn's call in and Brianna's and everyone's, and yet you're my first time calling in, so thank you. I'm a big fan of yours, Katie, but I want to show some love to Aaron. Um, Aaron, Mm -hmm. I just want to quickly mention that I'm a fellow Concordia person. I'm sitting in Montreal right now, steps away from your old stomping grounds.
2: Oh, awesome.
5: (laughs) And uh, I I did want to ask if you could give me some guidance or some more thoughts on on the the trucker issue if you're up for it i wanted to um say i feel a little lonely on the left in canada right now sort of especially like you know with some of like your colleague at the gray zone max blumenthal's like his ideas about lockdowns and uh vaccine passports and stuff i find that there isn't as much talk from the left in in canada or in quebec where i am um i wanted to just draw your attention i'm you know, I'm formerly like a big fan of the NDP here, but that's waning. It's been waning for a while. You know, our leader here of the, the new Democratic Party, Jagmeet Singh, you know, a week ago, he put up a post on Instagram it said, shut down U.S. interference and foreign financing of the Freedom Convoy. And it made me think a lot about Russiagate and about you. And I, I wanted to hear your thoughts.
2: Well, this is a tough one for me. I mean... In my own life, basically, I've polled all my Canadian lefty friends and all of them, like every single person. I can't find one who won't say that they think this is like a far-right, astroturfed operation. And that's kind of the consensus uh, from what they tell me and also what I see on Twitter. But my problem is I'm not there. I'm not in Ottawa. I haven't been there. And I don't – it's like especially after 2016 where basically so many – or a a sizable amount of voters who – would have otherwise voted for bernie voted for trump and people who went from voting for obama voted for trump and all those people were just dismissed as deplorables and racist i'm worried about making the same mistake here so it's like i have to take what my friends say seriously and of course there are exceptions jimmy dore and max blumenthal who are good friends of mine and max is my colleague they're you know they don't see it the same way that other lefties do so I'm very um, – I'm, I'm going to give you a very kind of uh, cowardly answer, which is I just don't know. Uh, and I'm just – I obviously, I don't want to support anything that's, that involves the far right, a far right agenda, a racist agenda that is astroturfed by billionaires. On the other hand, I don't want to just fall into that coastal liberal media thing where you just dismiss um, working class – Efforts as 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 just being right wing and racist. I just don't want to fall into that. So, I um I do want to cover this and I do want to learn more about it. But that will, I think, require more research on my part. In general, the idea of protesting mandates, I think, is it's fair. I mean, I agree with Jeremy Cor. It's not just Jimmy and Max saying this. It's Jeremy Corbyn. It's Richard Wolf. It's uh it, it's many people who I've long admired and have stood on the left. So it's not even. As clear cut as some people make it out to be, and then of course, I mean, as you talk about, like the. I just the com- real
0: quickly, saying yeah, that, sure, yeah. That Corbyn's thing is uh, test required testing, just right, like that's He, he a-
2: supports requiring testing. Yeah. So, okay, but he's still yeah. against. Me, but he's still Sorry. against. He's still I, against vaccine mandate, and I, you know, parfait. so I'm, just, and so it's not just a right wing position. And right. look, the the thing with Russia Gate, yes, I've seen all the same sort of like fake disinformation experts propping up to denounce the 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 trucker convoy and when i see that obviously that raises a red flag for me uh at the same time you know people on fox news have totally embraced the 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 trucker convoy too and that has to be that's also a red flag too so i um i'd love to learn more and i just and i'm not ready to make a a a judgment on it yet i just have to you know i'd love to even go there for myself or go to one of these things for myself, you know, like if it spreads elsewhere to uh, to see what it looks like on the ground.
5: Uh, thank you so much, Aaron and Katie.
0: Thank you. So if I could just summarize Aaron's position, he, he's not there, but he's asked his friends aboot it.
2: <laughs> That's exactly right. I have asked my friends aboot it, yes. And they're not a it. They are not a it. it. They're not a it.
0: They're not a it. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Bruce, come on in, Bruce. Welcome
6: to the show. Hey, Katie. Hey, Aaron.
0: Hey. How's your morning going? Good. Yours?
4: Oh, I'm doing all right. Yeah, doing good. Um, well, thanks for the show this morning. Uh, actually, it was pretty funny. I, you guys mentioned that. Uh, well, you had a little bit of a side comment about uh, people being deployed to Ukraine and saying that about how if the people in question were having marital problems, you know, they could have a divorce force so Actually, uh, Yeah brought to mind when my dad was actually voluntarily deployed himself to Honduras back in 2016, wow. to the army reserves. And, uh, my folks actually got divorced shortly after that. So that was kind of a sort of, you know, comedy meets reality kind of funny moment this morning, but that's, it's a tangent anyway, but, uh, thanks for the show. And my question really is about, uh, with this whole, uh, geopolitical, you know, global conflict going on right now with uh, Russia and and by extension China as well. I'm kind of sort of taking myself back and uh, looking at it a bit from like a sort of historical lens of, you know, back in the 1930s they had the uh, Berlin Olympic Games and um, that was right on the precipice of World War II. And now here we are, 2022, nearly 100 years later. Um with the Beijing Games going on, while while all this is sort of happening, and even in eight years, I think we're going to have the, uh, or sorry, six years, we're going to have the L.A. Olympic Games. I'm I'm really curious your thoughts on sort of the historical, you know, the, the quote, history. History doesn't repeat itself; it rhymes. You know, what are your what are your thoughts on the sort of in my my view eerie coincidence really here with the uh, different like geopolitical sort of. Uh, you know, comparisons with these Olympic Games and and the military conflicts.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not sure if there's a causal connection. I just think it's kind of happenstance. But, again, the important thing that I try to stress when talking about 2014 with the Olympics then is that that all happened after a U.S.-backed coup. And that was the key event. And that's the part that gets forgotten in the history of, you know, um the 20 the ukraine conflict breaking out in 2014 is that it was precipitated by a u.s backed coup where again you have victoria newland who's now back in power under biden in a leaked phone call that was intercepted by either ukrainian or russian intelligence plotting with the u.s ambassador to ukraine who was going to be the next prime minister of ukraine and newland says yats is the guy referring to Yatsenyuk, and that's who a few weeks later became the prime minister so the um In terms of why this has happened during the Olympics now, I guess for the third time, it's a great question. It's a great question. I don't know if like there are people in Washington who map this out and think for some reason launching a coup and then launching and then, you know, ginning up this fake crisis is good timing for the Olympics. I don't know. But look, the, the, the impact here this time was to basically push Russia even further towards China, which is something that US planners have been trying to avoid for forever. I mean, that was Kissinger's whole thing is basically trying to turn, trying to play Russia and China against each other. And he worked, he succeeded at that. But now Biden, I think with this latest uh, frenzy is actually undermining that strategy. And, you know, Putin, of course, went to Beijing and had that whole ceremony with Xi Jinping and they called each other best friends. And so it's it's really backfired on the US.
0: Did your, can I ask you something? Did your, so your dad enlisted in Honduras to fight on the side of like Lobo, uh, was that who it was then? Like the the coup government?
4: Yeah, I'm actually haven't really learned much of what he actually was doing. He's actually with the army reserve, so he was more so uh, kind of like helping out the uh, out with uh, the civilians down there. Oh. And I think he did he did a lot of like first aid training and stuff with um, some people down there. He's only there for nine months, but. Um, yeah, I know I know that there was some definitely some intervention on behalf of you know people in Honduras but yep. uh yeah it was it was certainly a weird weird thing cause I was just I had just uh, graduated from high school and uh and my dad had served in Iraq previously when I was like very little but um but yeah and then he actually had he met someone down in Honduras that he's actually married to now so it's kind of funny oh, great. It, it was just it was just really uh kind of a yeah, I guess uh, people talk about like certain like online niche content that it's like the algorithm right. knew me or something like, when you guys <laughs> just, like talk about the divorce force like oh the, wow, the divorce force
2: to... came for you today. Yes. Well, no, hey. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. Thanks.
0: Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Have a good one.
2: Thank you, Bruce. You too.
0: Okay. Now let's see. Whoops. Sorry. Uh, welcome to the stage. Ivana. Hi, Ivana. Uh, unmute yourself, please, by hitting the microphone at the bottom of your screen. Hi,
7: can the, you hear me? Yeah. Yes, hi. Hi, this is Ivan. <laughs> uh, good to talk to you, Katie and Aaron. Uh, I'm a big fan of both of your work. Um, and um, I wanted to ask uh, about maybe uh, what I've learned a lot uh, about um, how interventionism works Uh uh, from the West and uh, having grown up in Yugoslavia, it's just it's amazing to me how much we were inundated with uh, propaganda there and uh, how a lot of what was happening in the 90s was sort of like seen by everybody from the lens of these, you know, um, uh, civil civil society organizations, NGOs that kind of came in and poured money into the region and I think um, I haven't heard a lot about uh, Yugoslavia and the, the civil war and then also NATO, the NATO invasion uh, in 99, but that's kind of like, it, it was sort of like the turning point in the uh, US and NATO relations with Russia because it was both uh, an invasion of a, you know, a sovereign country, which is against NATO's charter, it was against the Security uh, Council, uh, uh decisions I think um and then also uh the countries that broke away from yugoslavia also were kind of folded into nato and I remember uh there wasn't any real discussion about any of that. I think like the referendum to join NATO had like ninety percent support or whatever in Slovenia, and there was absolutely no like public dis- discussion about it. And it was also, <laughs> it was sort of like on the same ballot as joining the EU. So I just I I want to know like how much do you uh, take that. Um, I guess episode into account when when you look at Ukraine and sort of like do you see it as a continuation or as a bad like reboot or whatever? So that's sort of uh, my question. And Aaron, I wanted to ask you because you did work uh, at uh, Democracy Now, um, and I don't know if you worked at the same time when this is happening. Uh, but one of the people who used to, like, cover that was Jeremy Scaffold. And do you have any <laughs> opinions about, like, his reporting now and so on? Thank you.
2: I remember Jeremy doing great work when he was covering the wars in the 1990s. I, um, and there's actually a great moment where he challenged, he's at a – him and Amy Goodman went to a correspondence award ceremony during – the bombing that took place in 1998, 1999, mm-hmm. and he challenged he challenged Richard Holbrooke, who was there to receive an award from Tom Brokaw of NBC News. And I thought I thought he did great work back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember being inspired. Also, by his
7: uh, his uh, his one on one with Samantha Power on democracy Now! Yeah, amazing? yeah, I
2: Obviously. remember that. I remember that. Yeah. That was great too. Yeah. Um, in ter- yeah, in terms of the, do I think the U.S. is pursuing a similar strategy now, trying to um, of trying to basically pull away and break up states to pull them into the U S orbit. Absolutely. I mean, that's what, that's what Ukraine is all about. And they didn't hide that. The um, shortly before the Maidan protest broke out in 2013, which led to the coup in early 2014, the head of the national endowment for democracy, which is a CIA cutout. And it's, it's it exists to f- foment regime change, and destabilization around the world in, in countries that the CIA is targeting. He wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post where he called Ukraine the biggest prize in the struggle against Russia. And he explained that if um, the U.S. can break away Ukraine firmly from Russia, can break off cultural and economic ties between Ukraine and Russia, then that will be a huge victory for the West. And it also will redound to Russia itself and might even see the overthrow of Putin's government. So, I absolutely think that there's a similar thing going on here. And, but do you um,
7: think it's a, it's a continuation? Because I feel like, I mean, the 90s were kind of... I mean, this was like the first thing that happened after the fall of the Soviet Union. So, of course, like Yugoslavia didn't have any allies. No, so, and,
2: yeah. And, right. and that was the point of expanding NATO, I think, mm-hmm. was to create a, a hostile military alliance that could pursue offensive operations like this. That's what they did with Kosovo, and that's what they did with Libya. So... Yes, in short, I totally think it's a continuation.
7: Right. I think it's it's very interesting what's happening now in, in the Balkans. And I was actually very surprised to see the Balkans mentioned again uh, in in the morning shows that you were showing and also like a picture of Milosevic with <laughs> the cross. Yeah. I mean. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so one of the things that's really interesting that's happening there is now all of these um, uh, generals or, uh, you know, like people, officials who were sentenced, uh, in The Hague are basically, they've served those, their sentence and they're coming back and they're telling like a pretty different story from how everybody sort of took it at the time. And, uh, it, it kind of ties into a lot of, uh, a lot of what's happening now. So I would, I would really uh, be curious to, to see, you know, uh, uh, a bit more, sort of like context, uh, from any, anybody who's like looking into Ukraine or uh, anywhere. Well, fair, else,
2: you know? yeah. fair enough. And, and there's another sort of historical analog too, where you know the U.S. won't rec- won't recognize the vote in Crimea to you know join Russia, but they will recognize the vote in Kosovo, right? So there's a double standard uh, right. there, right? You know, right. but yeah, no, it, it's a history that I only really know about from reading Chomsky and. And from Jeremy's work back in the 1990s, but it's a. But I agree, it's a really important history, and it's hard to get accurate information because you know, just like any any kind of foreign regime. Probably, everybody writes
7: and, their own history, right?
2: Yeah, yeah,
7: yeah. Uh, but it's very important, and I think there's obviously there's there's a potential for for tensions to to rise again, and they are in the Balkans, and I think the Ukraine situation isn't helping.
2: I'm sure. Um, of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. So
7: thank you. Oh, thank you for, thanks. For, oh, oh, thank I, you. I have a, uh, uh, another, a pun for you. phase the indoctrination. Oh, that's good. Or army of lovers or army of home or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's
2: that's good. Thank great. you.
0: Okay. Thank okay. you. I love that. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. I remember with, with the, uh, Kosovo, um, that was an interesting time where there was a real le- le- liberal left divide in terms of the intervention. There was with Afghanistan. You know, like all libs,
3: well,
0: libs and left disagreed on on Iraq, but not on Afghanistan.
2: Well, not all libs agreed on Iraq. There were plenty of libs who who supported the war. I mean, that was the mainstream lib position.
0: What was the mainstream lib position
2: to support the war?
0: Really, you think? Just uh, I don't think so. The second. The-
2: Remember, like Phil Donahue, who you, know, you can call lib, he was on MSNBC. He was taken off the air because he was Correct. opposed to the war. Yes. Well.
0: Okay. Sure. Yeah. Right. I guess I'm talking about liberals, individuals versus um, the the quote unquote liberal media. I mean, I think because liberals hated Bush.
2: Right, but okay. Look, uh, we I can mean, we can debate this some other time. JD, can um I am, uh, yeah. tell you
7: something: Bernie voted
2: yeah.
0: for the war. Oh, I know, I know. You mean Bernie the-
2: voted in two thousand two for the war. No, he voted. Wait, wait,
0: what are you talking about? He, he
2: voted in the. He voted uh, for some act to authorize regime change in Iraq, but when it comes to the actual vote to authorize Bush's war, he did not vote for that.
7: Oh, I meant uh, the assault on Yugoslavia.
2: Oh, I think so. Yes, yes, yes. He did.
7: Yes, he did.
0: You're right. Yes, so, did. But I, w- I was talking about individuals. Leftist versus liberals, but yeah, that was not a good. That was a. I think it was
7: it, it worked because it, the the whole thing was sold as a, a humanitarian intervention, yeah, which it was anything but. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: All right. Well, thank you, Ivana, for calling in.
0: Yeah. Okay. Next, we got Magna for Revolution. Come on down.
3: Good morning. First off, we stay fly. No lie. What's up? You know this,
8: Colin.
2: Colin, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry I started that.
8: Second, <laughs> <No, that's great. laughs>
3: good? good morning to Katie and Aaron and Se Brianna in here. Uh, yeah. Good to see all of y'all on a Monday morning. Um, I, and Nora, I just...
0: Nora's my mom. She's in here. Hi, mom.
3: Hello, Katie's mother, Nora. I believe, right? Isn't that yeah. her name? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Second, I heard a little bit of – I didn't tune in right when you guys came on, but I heard the back end of some COVID discussion, and Katie said something about Jeremy – you know, Aaron said Jeremy Corbin's against the mandates, and Katie added the uh, aspect that he's for testing. And I, I want to, I guess, say something about that and maybe ask you guys what you think. Seeing as the vaccine is, is not – I mean, I, I honestly think we shouldn't call it a vaccine because a vaccine to me, under my definition of it, means that you, you can't get or transmit, and this is not that. This is really uh, much more analogous to, like, a flu shot, wherein it diminishes, at best, diminishes the effects if you are to get it, but you can still get it, can still transmit it. Vaccines vaccinated people are have been hospitalized are currently hospitalized vaccinated people have died so like what i guess to you katie why do you think that that aspect of jeremy corbin's part is important should we just be testing people who are unvaccinated or should we uh test everyone seeing as people even vaccinated can get and transmit it and um
0: uh, yeah, yeah, I'm for, I'm for testing everyone, especially with Omicron. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's what's interesting is that we it was much less right with Omicron. It is easier. The vaccine gives you less. It's still transmittable. Um, before though, with the earlier variations, it was also it did make a difference. Right? It made it less transmittable.
3: Is that true? I, I've seen different numbers, and it depends who you trust on that. But yeah. yeah. Um, um,
0: but even let's say it just makes it the hospitalizations less severe at this point. We were great. I mean, and then I get so sorry. I'm sorry. What is the question you're asking about my position on, on testing? Or, uh,
3: well, yeah. I mean, if you mentioned well, but, that Jerry McCorbin's yeah. position was test people who are on vaccine. And, and I think if we're going to do testing, we need to test everybody as even vaccinated people can get and transmit. Is that, yeah. Do you agree or disagree
0: with that? I, I actually don't even know, honestly, if Corbin's position is that you should test everyone or just the unvaccinated. Um, okay. But I just wanted to bring that in because I think it's a it's, it's a slightly different um, – I mean, it's just an important part of his position.
3: So I think to, to speak about the mandate aspect really quick, and I think what bothers a lot of people and certainly bothers me is um, – I'm not vaccinated. I'm in my mid-30s. I'm healthy. I've never really been sick in my life, and and I've never been personally fearful of COVID. It, to me, to what I've seen, it's it's really a threat to people who are elderly, obese, and have comorbidities, none of which I fall under, and that's just my personal position. But the thing that really bothers me about the vaccine push and mandate is, is my girlfriend's uh, vaccinated, and here in Colorado, we have a state app um, called My Colorado app, and it's run by a uh, company named TALIS or T H A L E S or something like that. Who's a technology company, and um, so you know the the benefit of that My Colorado app is that if you forget your wallet, you can pull up your your state issued driver's license or identification card, and it works for police officers. Some bars and and liquor stores and places where you get ID'd will accept that as well. And that's a nice, that's a nice thing. It's it's a form of digital ID and and I'm generally against that. But what I want to get to is that my girlfriend being vaccinated, her vaccine card even showed up there and she didn't sign up for the vaccine through a government site. She signed up through a private party and ended up going and getting it at at a rec center for one and at a uh, at a fire department for the other for her second jab and her va- without submitting to the state her vaccine card shows up in the my Colorado app you know which is I think uh, um, a little bit invasive I mean this is a medical procedure
2: yeah and, and Chris if I can uh, cut in this was yeah, the this was a kind of concern that Jeremy Corbyn voices that he's concerned about this being used as a Gateway to tracking people, and I, I think all those concerns are are fair. I don't want to spend too much time on the show talking about it because I think it gets enough attention elsewhere. And I'm also, honestly, it's like it's become so divisive, and I've seen it divide so many people, friends of mine, that I just um, I I just don't want to spend too much time litigating it. But I hear you, and, and I I think these are totally fair concerns to raise, and I don't like how these concerns are just dismissed. As and all put into the same bucket as being like anti-vax, which I, I don't think is fair at all to the people who are raising this issue.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I'm not anti-vax. I support people getting vaxxed if they feel they need it. And and I've had vaccines in my life. And I'm I, I I resent people being labeled anti-vax. I mean, yeah, especially especially like you know certain people who are vaccinated and now are are railing against um, mandates. I think. It's right. unfair to call them anti-vax. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, one last or two last things. Small one. one last thing.
2: Is, one last guys, thing. One last thing.
3: Okay. Will you guys be doing maybe a drinking game or something with Taibi for uh, <laughs> for the State of the Union coming up in a few yeah. weeks? I think that'd be really yeah. fun. Maybe do it on Colin or YouTube. I think. It's, I'd love to tune into a drinking yeah. game with all y'all. That's a that. great
0: idea. Yeah, I'll commit to that. I'll check with Taibbi. We should be able to reserve it. Do we have the date yet for the State of the Union? Is
2: it it's the March or 13th
3: yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I'll try I think. It. So anyway, I'll let you guys go. I had one more thing, but I'll catch up with you guys another time. And, okay, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you for your time.
2: Thanks, Chris. Thank, thank you. you.
0: Thanks. All right, we got Chuck. Hi, Chuck. Chuck, unmute yourself, please, by hitting the mic at the bottom of your screen. Okay, I, I did that. Awesome.
1: Okay. Like to... Hello guys, uh, great stuff, but I just wanted to say to Aaron that his uh, instincts were correct about what's going on uh up in Ottawa, but one way that you can find out is what, you know, we spent uh cold New York day is uh uh on YouTube watching it live. Okay, what was taking
6: place there? A couple of people Ford Fisher was up there, but there's this site called Atta Walks, which is on 24 hours a day at the site
5: with tens of thousands of people watching it. And they just go up and down interviewing people, talking about all kinds of people. You didn't see any
2: swastikas. You didn't see. Hello. So Chuck, you could add a little bit there. We lost you after swastikas, if you're still there.
0: All right, let's let um, Chuck. We can bring you back in if once you get. But
2: just to, so what Chuck was saying was that basically the the media portrayal of the people in Ottawa as being all far right is false. He's saying that based on looking at the streams of the protests, which I haven't done. I I've been really tied up with uh, work the last while, so I just haven't paid attention to the freedom convoy in Canada to get a, an impression of it. But um, that was Chuck sharing his impression, and when his his Wi Fi when a signal. Uh, comes back he can come back in and share more. So let's go to the next caller.
0: Maybe right at that moment he was looking at the footage and he saw a swastika and he realized he could no longer make He it
2: ducked up. out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he
0: ducked <laughs> out, yeah. All right, let's go uh, John. Unmute yourself please.
9: John?
2: Yeah.
0: Good hey. morning.
9: Good morning. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, guys. You too.
2: Happy Valentine's Day.
9: Uh, wow, it's so cool to like be in this chat room talking to you guys. Um All let's right. see here. So so basically, guys, I'd love for you to poke uh, a couple holes in a theory of mine um, with the discussions about Russiagate and how this ties back to the Clintons and, or Hillary Clinton, I guess, and her failings in the 2016 election, or Biden and his nomination's failings, uh, like the digital coup that happened in Iowa, or like what happened at Bloody Super Tuesday. Um, Basically, I'm doing research on a topic on how algorithms and censorship affects left-wing outreach and political outcomes. And I was wondering with January 6th, so this kind of jumps over, bear with me for two seconds, but I was wondering with like January 6th and the way some of the big right-wing commentators like on platforms like YouTube have millions and millions of followers and people like I follow, like if I were to compile my top 10 lefty YouTube voices or platforms they all sit like either at or below the million follower range Mm -hmm. um i wonder if you guys think that the events at january 6th are correlated to the fact that like people were actually hearing the message from people on youtube like steven crowder-esque folks or like i don't know go down the line of right-wing youtubers but like more people were hearing that message and is that maybe why we didn't have people stand up in places like iowa um when things were actually going down on the left and we were having things kind of stolen from us in a sense um and i think that's yeah do you guys think there could be a correlation between the lack of followings that we surmount on platforms like yours where the truth is being put out and the real world consequences are like things we'd like to see happen in left-wing discourse
2: John, sorry, I don't quite get the question. Is there a correlation between January 6th happening and people getting the wrong information and not following? Sorry, I don't follow it.
9: Like, basically, they got the wrong message, but they got it because, they, like, right-wingers who are listening to uh, right-wing independent platforms on places like YouTube were hearing the actual stop the steal message, whereas people that are maybe, like, left-wingers in, I- or left-leaning in their politics... Uh, my never may never have heard about um, things like we all know about like Hillary Clinton and the and and her team kind of running the Democratic Party during 2016 or um,
0: the shadow app, right? Like uh, the, the
9: shadow country. app, yeah. like nobody, nobody ever heard about an actual stuff that's steal happening on the left. And my theory is kind of that that goes to the fact that left wingers are suppressed on platforms like YouTube, uh, Twitter, the rest um that that it is a little bit over all over the place but yeah
0: no i think i What you're saying you're saying is the fact that youtubers on the left are were relatively suppressed right i don't know about this but i guess it's people like crowder are not like they're what they're amplified they're elevated
9: well like a person like crowder has like five million followers on youtube for instance right And like somebody like who you're aware of, Aaron, um, like I became aware of you, Aaron, during like the Syria stuff that Jimmy Dore brought you on to talk about and how folks like uh, like uh, Kyle Kalinske, who was one of the big folks I would follow back during 2016 and through to today um, in the news was going going over these topics. And like people like Kyle Kalinske are are, I feel like are heavily suppressed, even though, um, you know, like they divided with you and and Jimmy on certain issues, folks like Kyle
2: yeah, well, I, I certainly think that lefties are suppressed in the algorithm. I think that's I mean I I put my money on that if I had to bet. Um, and but in terms of what what is what I can definitely prove is that I think a failure on the left to confront Russia Gate, I think you can draw a line between that and January sixth because basically everybody adopted this stupid idea that Trump was controlled by Russia and that that was the reason why he won because Russia installed him basically. And if you're on the right and you voted for Trump and you see such a stupid scam take hold of the entire establishment media and even some left, some lefties are promoting it too. Like Bernie Sanders, the face of the, of the progressive left, he, mm-hmm. he enabled Russia Gate too. I, I think you're going to get more hostile towards the left and you're going to feel as if your candidate who you voted for and won a fair election is being subverted, which he was. And I think that helped sort of, um, engender more sort of more defensiveness, obviously, because because uh, Russiagate was a scam. And then so when Trump comes along and claims that the election was stolen from him baselessly, I think people are even more prone to believe that based on what happened with Russiagate, where there was actually some kind of a conspiracy. I mean, the like the worst fantasies of the Fox of your stereotypical Fox News viewer. Actually, I hate to say it, it came it became true where there was an intelligence community Operation to undermine the elected president, and um, and unfortunately, not enough people spoke out against that. And it just goes back to you know the whole Tea Party phenomenon, where at the time there was genuine anger over how bad the economy was doing, and the left or the the mainstream left, the, the liberals, they ceded anger over that to the right, who of course had no real political agenda for resolving it, but they just channeled it into like anger and bitterness and hatred towards yeah. people of color. And that's with yeah. the Trump playbook too. So until mm. actual grievances are addressed, you're going to keep seeing things like, like January 6th.
0: Right. Yeah. And uh, you should let us know what we can do to beat the algorithm.
9: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm working on. I'm, I'm going to be launching a channel, but um, that's going to, that's small bones. I won't. I won't
0: where can we find that. Where can we find your stuff for your research?
9: Well, I'm doing I'm, it. It kind of is hinted at in my little thumbnail picture here, but I'm doing a channel um, called Neo's Algorithm, and so it's it's all about algorithms and censorship. And you can probably find that on YouTube. I just haven't posted like my four launch videos and all this yet. So,
10: um,
9: But, uh, anyways, thank you guys so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you for your question. All right, we got Kusha next. Uh, make uh, make next caller right? Okay, Kusha.
11: Good morning, Katie. And good morning, here. Okay. Thank you so much for bringing me uh, next in line in the queue. I really appreciate it. I hope both of you are doing well.
0: Thank you. What's up?
11: Absolutely. So during this conversation, something that was mentioned was the Balkans and the U.S. role in the Balkans and a lot of the ethnic cleansing that was carried out in the Balkans. And so something I'm curious about, and you also mentioned like Scahill's work at the time, uh, speaking on the matter and Chomsky's work is what was mentioned. Um, Because there was much slaughter through NATO's intervention, like there were even three Chinese journalists killed by Clinton in 1999, and uh, Milosevic, and the other end, they were carrying out much atrocity. So I want to ask about, um, since the Islamic Republic of Iran had a major presence in Yugoslavia during that era, and they supported Bosnian Muslims with uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard fighters, 400 of which to train the Bosnian Mujahideen, and hey, Kusha Kusha I'm going to stop you there. K- Kusha, 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 uh,
2: Kusha, I'm going to stop you there. I know you have a particular interest in Why? Iranian Why politics. Well, because you're as you've talked about in many of my Colin shows, your family has suffered under the Iranian government. How? But well, you, you 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 you've explained it before, and um, Please share with I somebody. no 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 hold on, but I don't know it's anything. Uh, ho- wait wait hold on, I don't know anything about. Iran's involvement in Yugoslavia. So, I do. Okay, so and that's great, but it's again, this goes back to an issue that we've faced before with your uh, call-ins, is that you're asking us to comment on an issue that we have no familiarity with whatsoever. So, oh well, I,
11: it, you spoke about the YouTube algorithm just now and vaccine mandates, and I think this topic I brought up is much more pertinent mm-hmm. and germane to the conversation because I tied it in very closely with what you said. And so I don't think it's good to be afraid of these topics. You should I'm not aware. afraid
2: of it. I just I, – I, I want to keep the conversation relevant and oh, interesting to relevant. everybody.
11: I think you've been dodging these topics because they're compromising to your position. And I want you to try to be open-minded about discussing it and trying no, to – No, we've
2: speak. actually – I've actually answered your questions about Iran every single time. Which no, say really. in fact,
11: they will talk about this the next time and then you often never do. So that's okay. – No, that's no.
2: Matter. Okay. What I say every time and then I'm going to ask us to go to the next caller is that – I understand the Iranian government is repressive. I understand that, that your story is that they've repressed your family, and I oppose all forms of repression. My concern is what my government does to and foreign this is countries, not, including this is what Iran. Doing
11: it. this is the Carter administration doing it. So why don't you allow us to talk about those topics? I don't because you have a particular
2: interest in in the in in the Iranian government's actions abroad and i've just i've already addressed it with you many many times and it's no not- you
11: always fail to go up further with it like you always end the logical fallacy and don't let me address the logical fallacies you bring up because they're compromising
2: okay well um All right. yeah All right. anyway i i i don't agree with you but i also just don't want to i don't want to have to keep debating this with you every single time i do a call and show. it's it's getting tiring Well so let's move it's on
11: tiring let's- to see- People refuse to condemn the Islam Republic's atrocities, specifically and vaguely, when they cover sanctions against Iran so much and they cover Syria so much. Well, but our government is one topic.
0: of them. I heard, him, I heard Aaron condemn repression in all forms, and I think he made his position
11: clear. Um, uh, I know he, said, he says, I don't endorse or condemn. That's his position. He no,
2: I just agree. said, I just said, yeah. I condemn all repression. But I just said like, that, this including, this by Trump, Trump. including by Trump. Iran, including by Iran. I know, and I said, I know that Iran has been uh, repressive to its own people. And I've said that many times, including on the air. I know that. You
11: don't cover specific cases, Aaron.
2: You know that. You don't cover specific cases. You don't give detail. Those are visceral. That's true. That is true. I have not gone in-depth on atrocities. No, no, (laughs) no. no, I I don't cover atrocities committed by many governments. I, I focus on atrocities committed by my own government. Yes, because I, I live in the U.S. and I pay taxes in the U.S. That's my concern. Okay, Let's move on. Let's in. move on. Thank you, Kusha. Thank you for calling in.
0: All right, uh, Seth. Sorry, I made you a speaker, but I meant to just invite you to make the next caller. Seth, Seth, are you there? Uh-oh, I think I I kicked you out by accident, Seth, so we join and we'll let you in. I'm going to make um, Alex the next caller. Alex, unmute yourself, please. Uh, don't know where he went. All right, Seth, let me bring you in. Make next caller. Okay,
1: Seth. Something. Okay, Seth. I'm well, That was uh, steamy. There, that was exciting.
8: Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I was just gonna ask uh, when, when when we could hopefully see either yourself, Katie, or Aaron on uh, the the Joe Rogan Experience. But then I realized that's just another January 6th the moment. So uh, <laughs> probably not a good question. No. Uh completely kidding. But uh, you guys, uh, you, you plan on going on the show or?
2: Uh, I mean, that's not up to us. That's up to uh, Joe Rogan. And um, But yeah, of course, I, I'd i love to go on that show. Um, and I think the whole media obsession with him right now is getting so ridiculous. And I love not to hear about Joe Rogan anymore because there are so many more important topics.
0: Except for yeah. when he writes this on, in which case we're very happy to hear about him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thanks, Seth. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we got Fariha. Fariha, just to unmute yourself by pressing the mic button
10: at the bottom. Okay. Um, hi guys, uh, good morning. Um morning. thank thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of both of you. Um, and my question right now is for Matt. Um, uh, Matt I'm so, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Aaron. Okay. Aaron. I apologize. I apologize. Okay. Matt, um, I'm- I'm- <laughs> so Mate e question- b
2: Mate e yes. b really, is my new name yes, yes.
10: <laughs> aaron matt thank you aaron aaron please thank you so um so my question about is about um the you know the the fact that at this point um you know the 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 war drums in the u s are basically begging um putin to uh, you know attack so that they can have a war but um uh, you know um erin i've been i've been sort of like uh looking at all your gray zone um uh presentations on this and the one that you d- uh, did with douglas mcgregor i mean all of them are amazing but the one you did with him you asked him like how likely is it that you know he th- like putin has nothing to gain By starting Mm -hmm. a war, but but you but you but you asked him how likely is it, how probable is it, how much can he afford it, and 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 he came back with the answer: he can absolutely, if he is pushed too much, if 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 that is the course that's open to him. So I I just wanted to know what you think right now, a month after you had that conversation with Mr. McGregor, what do you think is the likelihood at this point in time, and. A second part of my question is, if that happens, um, and, you know, you were talking about the Azov Battalion, like, the, the support that the U.S. is, it's supporting those of those actors, those white nationalist actors in one part of the world, how is it going to sort of, like, have, like, you know, a blowback effect on the situation with white nationalists in our country? Um, yeah, that's... If you, could, if you could please address that.
2: Well, um, first of all, on the issue of blowback to white nationalism in the U.S., there's a direct tie. People have been arrested uh, for going over to Ukraine to train with the neo-Nazi militias and uh, to come back to the U.S. to be involved in alleged plots. So there's that's a huge exactly tie.
10: Like, yeah. that's, that's exactly like the ISIS thing with, with, the, with people going from all over the world. Oh, yeah. my, okay. Please yeah. please go on. Yeah.
2: I mean, look, you know... Uh, Um, 10 years ago, this past Saturday, Jake Sullivan wrote that email to Hillary Clinton, where he said to her, Al Qaeda is on our side in Syria. And that's another, it's another area where the U S fueled extremism by arming extremists and sectarian Mm -hmm. death squads in Syria Mm -hmm. and people Mm -hmm. from around the world went and, and took part in that and, uh, Mm -hmm. and, and then brought, and then left and brought that back to their home countries. So it's another case where just the U S foreign policy is not just dangerous, to the countries that it targets with regime change, right. like in Syria. Uh, right. But it's also dangerous to its own population. And Ukraine is, is a big, it's a huge problem that even even the Atlantic Council, which is a uh, basically like a lobby for NATO, um, yes. <laughs> they even had to admit, there's a headline, I'll read it to you. It's from 2018. Ukraine's got a real problem with far-right violence, and no, RT didn't write this headline. Uh, Because because it's such a huge issue now. And, um, Uh uh you know, when you go back to that phone call that I mentioned with that, that was uh, intercepted and released between Victoria Nuland, the senior State Department official and uh, Jeffrey Piat, the uh, U.S. ambassador to Ukraine at the time, Mm -hmm. they're Mm talking, they're talking about who to install in the Ukrainian government. And they talk about this one guy who was out there leading the Maidan yes, protests, yes, yes, who yes, who John McCain and Chris mm-hmm. Murphy stood shoulder to shoulder with, and yes, they say yes. basically no, he can't come into government because he's too extreme. And and besides, we're going to need him out in the streets to basically be the muscle uh, for mm-hmm. the new Ukrainian government that we're going to install. So that was even an acknowledgement that the U.S. was using far right forces in Ukraine, and that but that they were too extreme to actually put in government because it wouldn't look very good to have basically a neo-Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer, a far-right figure heading this new coup government. So, But they did need him out in the streets to be effectively like the muscle. And that's similar to Jake Sullivan saying to Hillary Clinton that al-Qaeda is on our side in Syria. And in terms of the McGregor interview, it's funny about that question. So for people who don't know, Doug McGregor is a former senior Pentagon advisor under Trump. And when I asked him the question about, do you think it's likely that russia is going to invade i the reason i asked it first is because i was expecting him to say no because i yes, just thought it, yes. I because yeah, i thought it was so ridiculous and adam Schiff uh-huh. was saying adam adam Schiff was saying at the time that he thought a russian invasion was imminent so the reason i asked him was like oh well, come on i'm gonna get this uh this experienced colonel pentagon advisor to knock it down but to my surprise he he agreed that putin is likely to invade but that um, was
10: a moment that was yeah a moment.
2: it was funny it was funny it, it was it serves me right for trying to like push my own agenda. But um, basically, I, I look, I'm, I'm not a military person, but I just don't see what benefit Russia has in invading. If they wanted to, they could have at any point right. over the last eight years right. of war. They haven't even used their air force in Ukraine. So I just don't see why they would do that now. To me, the more plausible explanation for what they're doing is they're responding to a series of provocations inside of Ukraine, including Zelensky shutting down the three, te- actually four now, four television networks tied to the wow. Russian-tied uh, opposition and putting uh, the main opposition leader, who's also very pro-Russia, under house arrest and also increased U.S. military exercises near Russia's borders. And also, to, as Scott Ritter points out, he's a former Marine Corps intelligence officer. Mm-hmm. He writes mm-hmm. at Consortium News. He says that Putin's doing this just to show to NATO how divided they are and how the U.S. ultimately right. won't, won't have your back. And we'll sell you up for their for your own interest, as kind of is happening now with Ukraine, where they won't come to Ukraine's defense, but they also are sowing panic and causing serious damage to Ukraine's economy. So that's mm-hmm. that's what I think is really going on with Russia's troop movements. I don't think they're gonna invade.
10: Okay. Thank you. And that thank you. That was amazing. Um and- I just, I just wanted to make a small, very quick comment uh, about um, about the vaccines. So I come from a community where we use homeopathy uh, for all our medical needs. And um, we are supposed to be kooks to everybody. But I just wanted to say that um, concerning, you know, in, in connection with the opioid crisis in this country, uh, I just have a gentle question, which is that um, in... In the ten thousand year of human history uh, year human history where you know they you know people must have addressed um, pain and 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 illnesses in some way or the other I, I I refuse to believe that OxyContin is the only way that that this civilization which is supposed to be the uh, the, the ultimate uh, developed civilization in history that is the only answer they have because <clears throat> Let me just say that there are about 3,000 remedies in in homeopathy that have that have been proved to this point, and each one of them is a pain medicine. and And the, the, there is no concept of pain for for naturopaths and homeopaths because they can address it so easily with their With their medicines. But but the thing is that we are you're not even supposed to bring it up because everybody will think that you are weird and you're a kook. And 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 so so just just I I know that this is this is divisive and you didn't want to discuss it. But just for your listeners, I wanted to say that there are communities out there that are addressing um, because because I mean, 43 million Americans don't have health care. So they're they're doing something. They're doing something, and some of them, I think, are are do are discovering their own ways of of taking care of their health and and keeping it under control. That's that's just that's just something very gentle and very quiet that I wanted to say, and that's okay, all.
2: Okay, got it. Thank you for it. Thank you. Thanks for Absolutely.
10: sharing that. Yeah, awesome. I have to go because
0: I have to. I have a, another commitment. I only had it uh, set aside an hour, but Aaron's going to take over. So, love everyone who came by. Keep coming. See you next week. Uh, subscribe to Useful and uh, see you at the call-in next week. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, but Katie. T- stick around. I'm just going to meet
2: And Alex, you are next.
12: Hey, Aaron. Uh, big fan of the show. Big fan of both you and Katie. Um, found you guys vi- via uh, uh, Brianna. And uh, so, yeah, super stoked about that. And just incredible show. I think I've... First Useful Idiots was last week, and you guys just did an incredible job on CNN and journalism, and it was, like, perfect. I think you guys also have a really good uh, kind of back-and-forth dry humor that just works, <laughs> and so I think the show will continue to grow and just um, – just a huge fan of both of you uh, now, and you got me hooked. So Great. subscribing well, and, and and definitely dipping into every pod now. So uh, that was one. And then two was just – I was talking to a friend of mine after that, that show last week, and I was just saying, you know, if you were going to invade a country, let's just like take everything aside. If you're going to invade a country, would you like amass troops at the border and – Like, tell everybody that you were going to invade and, you know, like, so they could build up their army and their response and everything and, like, put everybody in panic? Or would you just, like, surprise everyone and attack kind of, like, unannounced if you were truly going to, like, you know, take over a country? I think the the latter would probably be true. But I just don't – I mean, I don't know anything about this situation really But what do you think the US's end game is is by continuing to escalate like the pins and needle uh, narrative that like it's imminent and it's could be any moment, could be today, uh, of like, you know, the specifically the boomer generation that watches all these news shows that are just so terrible. So, like, what is the US end game here? I guess the registered voter that they're trying to, like, reach that Russia could invade at any moment. What is the I purpose think of this? I
2: think they're trying to – I mean, a, f- a few options. Uh, they're trying to find something that can justify killing the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, um, which they really don't – I mean, Trump tried his best to stop it. He, he sanctioned the pipeline. I mean, that was a big project for the neocons and the Trump administration. And then Biden came in, and then Germany was like, you're – you you can't. This is our pipeline. We spent a lot of money on this. This is none of your business. And so Biden, you know, wanting to have good relations with Germany and not wanting to be completely crazy, back down. But now there's a big lobby in Washington that hates that because they hate the idea of Russia being further integrated with the rest of Europe. And so they want to stop the Nord Stream two gas pipeline. And that's why you keep hearing. You know, like we we we, we played it on today's Monday morning. Adam Kinzinger talking about we have to shut down the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline now, even though, of course, nothing has happened. This supposed invasion hasn't even happened. So that's that's part of the agenda. They also want to justify a way to impose more sanctions on Russia because nothing unites by uh, Democrats and Republicans in Washington more than imposing sanctions on foreign populations whose government is targeted for regime change or destabilization. And they're trying to find, I think, a way now to say to maybe save face and say that if Russia doesn't invade, uh, then that means that they won. And it, it proves actually the credibility of U.S. sanctions threats and deterrence and is being used as a warning to other people not to run afoul of the U.S. or else you will face sanctions, too. It's, it's sort of similar to how a mafia Don runs his uh, his operation. That's so that's what I think the the agenda is.
12: Uh, great analogy. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate the show. I appreciate your interview.
2: Well, thanks, Alex. And by the way, one more underrated thing, too, is that the people you know in the Biden administration, as we've talked about today, especially Victoria Nuland, who's basically running policy for the Biden administration on Ukraine, they have a huge role in sparking this whole mess with the coup, with backing the coup in 2014. And the you know one indication of the Biden administration's complicity is the fact that Ukraine – uh, that 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 a Ukrainian gas company felt so compelled to try to curry favor with Biden, given his centrality to U.S. policy, that they gave Hunter Biden a very lucrative board seat on Burisma, eighty thousand dollars per month. So these all these people, Newland, Biden, Jake Sullivan, they all have a major uh, Blinken, they all have a major role in what they started, and maybe that makes it more difficult for them to take an off ramp, and maybe that motivates them to try to escalate more because they just don't know. What else to do they don't want to be seen as quote unquote weak uh, but it's leading to disaster and it's um, it's only going to get worse the more this goes on so that's my answer to that and time for a few more calls we'll try to take as many as we can rj you're next
8: hi aaron uh thanks for taking my call um really have liked your addition to the uh um, usual um idiots and all that it's been uh, really great having you on the uh, show. um I had a question for you because you are a lot more plugged in than I than I can be, and I was wondering: Have you actually seen any evidence of the Russian buildup? I and bear with me for a second. The original reports that came out, the Washington Post and that they showed pictures that were not on the border; they were 150 miles away from the border, and since then. I see a lot of reports where people, well, it's, it's proven that the Russians are built up. The Russians have 100,000. The Russians have 175,000. But I never see any like, yeah, here's video of Russian tanks moving. I see on CNN pictures of Ukrainian equipment. I see Richard Engel in a trench that's not even on the Russian border. It's with the Donbass. But I never see anything except people saying, well, trust us, the Russians have built up whatever number they picked that day is the is the number. And I'm just wondering if you have actually seen where they have put out real images or satellite photography or anything that actually proves that. I mean, I know that there are Russian soldiers there, they're Russian bases, but I haven't seen anything that actually proved that there was even the hint of a Russian invasion.
2: Yeah, well, this there's a great site called Moon of Alabama, and if you don't know what I recommend it, basically they've been analyzing the the so-called intelligence used to accuse Russia of this massive buildup, and certainly there have been forces moving to the border, but this website Moon of Alabama points out that um, it's not nearly enough to launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And a lot of the the intelligence that was put out there, there was this document released to the Washington Post back in December is basically like a cropped photo that leaves out that the troops were deployed pretty actually far from the border to a point where you know it, their positioning wouldn 't really help an invasion so i, I don't i don 't get too much into that stuff because i 'm not a military expert and i don 't know like, all, like like all, all this stuff works but I certainly think that basically the, the basis for it has just been hype from the Biden administration and then all these media journalists taking that on faith that Russia has launched this major troop build up. And I I'm sure if you dug more into it you, you could you could you could poke a lot of holes in it. Uh it's not something that that I've personally done but but I certainly think that, that the case is there to make and it's funny seeing like you know like you mentioned Richard Engel and today on Monday morning we played this clip from Fox News where this Fox News correspondent is like he's in front of a helicopter as it's landing and it's so obvious that they staged that at that exact moment just to get that shot of this like dramatic helicopter landing behind him. But all it is is just an exercise um, near the the front line in the Donbass. And it's something that's been going on, you know, for the last eight years. It doesn't show any kind of heightened threat whatsoever. And that's what all this is. It's just media hype. And uh, everyone, it's so easy for people to buy into it because they're not given any alternative. You know, that's all the media across the board gives them.
8: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Okay. Dan, you're next.
6: Can you guys hear me now?
8: Sorry yes, you about can. that. No worries.
6: Getting used to this uh, platform. First of all, excellent platform. You know, having your guys' voices, something that's readily available to everybody else like this. I just downloaded the app and I never download apps, put it on the phone and I'm speaking with you. Uh, Aaron, kudos, man. The last couple of years, you've really picked it up. <laughs> You're getting a great sense of what's going on. And for anybody who's anti-war, who knows what's really going on in the world, it's it's fabulous to have you on our side. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Um, one thing that just absolutely drives me crazy is nobody's talking about the history. And history in this region is incredibly important. And it describes exactly what's going on and why it's going on. Uh, one of the previous callers. Geez, I can't believe I'm nervous. (laughs) One of the previous callers mentioned white nationalism when talking about the Azov Battalion. This is far more uh, wide-ranging than what the media is kind of encapsulating Nazis as now. This uh, This is a movement. One thing that nobody understands is that Western Ukraine is basically Galicia. Galicia was never part of the Russian Empire. It was never part of the Orthodox Christian world. Galicia is uh, much more uh, centered around the Austrian-Hungarian Empire and the Vatican. And you know what? I'm going to have to call back another time because obviously I'm, for whatever reason, (laughs) unable to. But I think you know where I'm getting at, Aaron, and I think this is something that's been uh, just terribly, terribly underreported and understood. And no one can uh, accept... Uh, expect you, Aaron, or Katie to 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 know the the machinations that have been going on for centuries mm. in this area. But it's something that I hope you take the time, Aaron, uh to go more in depth in. I'll try. I'll try.
2: About. Look, I have a lot to keep up with right now. I got Syria that I'm really focused Absolutely, on. Absolutely, brother. Russia Gate, it and it's, it's be. and it's hard, but but obviously it's a very fascinating history, and it's um it's something that I'm learning more from on the go and learning about from people like Mark Ames. Who's a great journalist who knows a lot about Ukraine? and If, um, if you've
6: heard of the moon, if you uh, follow moon of Alabama, Aaron, yeah. you should definitely follow the Saker, though. The you Saker. Know, I, yes. Okay. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've ever, if nobody's mentioned it to you, then it's a travesty because, you know, the Saker by far, moon of, moon of Alabama references the Saker.
2: Okay. Yeah.
6: a geopolitical analysis on, on right. the Ukraine and Russia and everything.
2: Okay. Saker, say, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Thanks thank for the
6: you Yeah. Thank you for everything. And now that I can kind of speak a little bit more, just it's the media has consumed us with this like neo-Nazis, white, white supremacism. And yeah, it's deplorable. I I couldn't stand Trump, even though I was pushing for pre-election Trump. But of course, the minute he got into office, I saw exactly what he is. But this is not this is much more about the real Nazis, not this neo-Nazi, not this jargon of white supremacy. This is a hate um, it's something that's centuries old and this is what's driving it all. And of course the economics come, come into play, you know, with everything else The you know, that the pipelines and everything else, but this is, this is an eastward push that has been going on for a millennia. And once you start to follow that, and if you could get a little more information on that, you'll be able to understand a lot more what's happening. Thanks a lot, guys.
2: Gotcha. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Okay. And you are our last caller. Hello, Aaron. Hi.
13: Hi there. Um, thank you so much to you and Katie for Monday morning and now the call-in session. This is fa- You guys are fantastic. Um, my question um, is a- about sanctions again, going back to what you said a, a few minutes ago. Um, do you think that Americans really have a- the best perspective on um, – I think now we're understanding just how much – of course, the most important is that these sanctions hurt citizens in other countries. But the media and Trump, you know, we're so blasé about just saying, like, we're doing sanctions here and there. But do we really have the best understanding of how it impacts us as a country? How if we weren't imposing all the sanctions, how, like, our lives would be improved or not only people in other countries, but how our network of resources and community would be improved if we stopped doing and creating a network of sanctions all over the world.
2: Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, it raises the great point of actually, we've so normalized sanctions and, you know, cutting foreign civilians off from the basics that they need because their government is one that we want to overthrow or destabilize, that even the term sanctions is is way too benign. I, when I use it, sometimes I get corrected by people who say it's not sanctions, it's actually economic warfare. Uh, because sanctions under international law does have a legit use. If, you know, the international community authorizes it under the U.N., then sanctions can be imposed for good reasons, like, you know, against apartheid South Africa, where the black majority supported sanctions to pressure the apartheid regime. But in the case of sanctions on Venezuela or on Syria or wherever else, on Cuba, this isn't the international community coming together to do that. This is the U.S. imposing that, on someone else. So it's, it's economic warfare and it's, and it's unilateral, unilateral coercive measures is the technical term that is used. So even calling it sanctions as I do, I mean, I'm including myself in this problem. It puts a, puts a a gloss on it, but yeah, look, one impact of sanctions or or economic warfare is it, yeah when it comes to Russia in Europe, it's meant higher energy prices this year for Europeans because, um, because of all the tensions. So gas prices are going up and if if the US succeeds in killing the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, you know, some people in Europe will face not having any heat. That's actually a very real prospect. And I think you can draw a similar line between what happened in Venezuela, the US economic blockade of Venezuela and higher gas prices in the US too. So in terms of getting people on board to opposing economic warfare, that would be a good messaging is to point out that it's not just you know, wrong to deprive foreign civilians of food and medicine and other basic goods, but it also, it hurts, it hurts the, it hurts Americans at home too.
13: Yeah. I think economic warfare is the, is way better language. Cause I under, I actually understand that more viscerally than yeah. when they say sanctions just personally. Um, and also it's like the difference between saying climate change and climate disaster Ralph Nader always brought this up is why are you calling it climate change? Because it's climate catastrophe. You know, he Mm -hmm. used to, the language was really makes, has more impact on people and their understanding. So, um, okay. And so basically, what we're doing with Ukraine uh, with all this staging and war propaganda, that's economic, um, that's impacting them economically, right?
2: It's impacting Ukraine. That's economic certainly. warfare. I'm
13: sorry. That's economic warfare. Right.
2: Well, the aim is to justify economic warfare on Russia. There's this bipartisan bill right now going through the Senate. Robert Menendez brags that it. It, he calls it the mother of all sanctions. And oh, right. Yeah. Even before Russia has even done anything, they haven't even invaded. The, the Republicans want to impose the sanctions now. Uh, and the Democrat position is, no, we should wait. That's the only difference between the two. They, they all agree that. Uh, the the that u.s has the right to try to destroy the russian economy just like they take for granted they have the right to destroy the syrian economy or the venezuelan economy or the the cuban economy that's a that's a presupposed right that is never questioned it's only a question of tactics how do we implement it are are the sanctions doing their job are they putting enough pressure on the government um can we impose even more i mean it's so ridiculous the the uh Recently, when when uh, Jordan wanted to bring energy via Egypt to Lebanon, because Lebanon's suffering this major energy crisis, they had to ask the U.S. for permission because they needed to get Syria involved to bring the, the gas from uh, Jordan and Egypt through Syria up to Lebanon. And so they had to get a waiver for, or a promise from the Biden administration that they wouldn't, that, they, that the Biden administration wouldn't sanction them if they sent energy to Lebanon, and all this is completely normalized to the point where you have a, a, a recent letter. It was bipartisan, signed by Democrats and Republicans, uh, including Menendez, protesting the Biden administration for letting this happen, saying, we sanction Syria, and how can you let them do this? As if we have some say over how the countries of the Middle East should share their energy. It's, it's just so nakedly imperial, but it's completely normalized.
13: Right. Absolutely. It's sadistic. These Congress people are sadistic on behalf of fossil fuel industry. It's just, it's gross.
2: Well, that's why, and that's why I always say that if you call me an Assadist for opposing all this stuff, then that makes you a sadist.
13: Yeah. It's it's (laughs) amazing. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you very much for explaining everything. It's just an ongoing learning process um, to understand these dynamics. So thank you so much for that.
2: Well, thanks, Ann. Thank you. Thanks for calling, and thanks to everybody for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you want to support us at Useful Idiots, we're at usefulidiots.substack.com. You get bonus content. You also get the audio version of Monday Morning, and a quick announcement. If you want to hear me more of me today, if you haven't had enough, I'll be doing a live stream with Max Blumenthal of The Gray Zone today at four o'clock Eastern Time, one p.m. Pacific. We're going to be talking all about Ukraine talking about how we got here, the major role of Russiagate, uh, whether progressives in Congress are being forceful enough and standing up to the war hysteria around Ukraine. And we're going to be interviewing the Russian deputy ambassador to the UN and get a rare perspective uh, from Russia that is not heard very often in the US media. So that's at four o'clock Eastern time, just under four hours from now on the Gray Zone YouTube channel. And hope to see you there and hope to see you next time here when we do this call-in we'll be doing this every week katie and i um, after monday morning and of course you can catch useful idiots twice a week monday mornings on mondays and then the regular podcast comes out on friday and to become a premium subscriber you can do that at usefulidiots.substack.com thanks everybody for tuning in really appreciate all the questions and the calls and the emojis and have a great rest of your